What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. Thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. This edition, full of junk. Different than normal how? <laughs> yeah, I just want to lower expectations. <laughs> That's fine. I do the same the first day of classes. Do you? <laughs> Today's full of junk? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, today is not full of junk because today today's idea was submitted by one of you fine listeners... One of our favorite ifers, super ifer, super duper ifer at this point, mm-hmm. uh, Dan. We'll come to Dan's stellar idea in a moment. Um, first, though, I you know I want to give a shout out to um, we have a lot of wonderful Patreon supporters, uh, including Dan, and um, uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to them and and say that to, to those of you who are listening who are not Patreon supporters, I encourage you to. Uh, be like these wonderful people. Uh, they get uh, bonus content of all kinds. Um, after every show, we, we do an extended episode just for them, and there's all kinds of fun. These people are walking around the earth wearing What the If t-shirts mm. and hoodies, drinking out of What the If mugs. Anything could happen. We don't even know. We, gotta, you know, we should ask them. Send. By the way, if you're a Patreon supporter and you're listening, send us a picture of you... Uh, in your what the if universe, enjoying your yeah, that's what a the good idea. Mug. I'd be interested to hear the tales of what happens to you when you walk the world in what the if. Merch. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Do you, are you treated differently? I mm-hmm. assume you're treated with yeah. with great respect, perhaps fear, which is not a bad thing. You know, people step out of your way as you're walking. Yeah. So we'll give a shout out to uh, um, some of our wonderful Patreons: um, Tasha, Connie, Dan, Bill, Yana, Guy. Marsha and Frank of Cincinnati, I happen to know. Mm. <laughs> Ahmed, Don, and Ken, you are all spectacular ifers. And uh, many more where they came from. So if you want to join um, Patreon, go check it out. Patreon.com slash what the if. And um, I'll mention that again at the end of the show. Don't you worry. Matt Stanley is here, historian of science from New York University, and your uh, devoted sidekick, uh, Freya, is in the house yes, as well. Yes, that's right. I don't know how devoted she is, but <laughs> ubiquitous sidekick, anyway. <laughs> how many, it, it, what's the uh, uh, Freya weight check? Freya is a puppy. and uh, she, is, uh, she is officially 50 pounds now, which is a... Um, 50 pounds. Uh, a, a moment we've been waiting for for a little bit, so... yeah. yeah. Did you like sound a foghorn or hit a gong? Oh, well, I've got, actually, I have my gong here. Oh, yeah? Fantastic. I didn't know we had a gong in the house all this time. We totally have a gong. (laughs) I can't find my mallet, though. I wonder if Freya stole it. Oh, Freya. Um, Yes. Did that come through? (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Wow. Pretty exciting. that is great. So anytime, you know, if, if you're bored, if a, if an if has gone wrong, just go ahead and <laughs> just hit, hit the, the gong. gong. 
the Gong Show. Uh, that's great. The Gong Show, by the way, one of the uh, <clears throat> one of my favorite shows growing up. I feel like it's underrated. It should be. In uh, it is not well known these days. This is true. Yeah. 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 Chuck Berry. Um, although wasn't Chuck Berry had like a Chuck crazy. Berry? Not Chuck Berry. Uh, uh, Chuck Barris was it? Okay, that, that sounds it, better. Yeah. Chuck, some name like that, right? Wasn't Chuck Berry the uh, rock and roll, the inventor of rock and roll? Um, uh, but uh, the Chuck, who was the host of the show, or then then had this. I didn't actually see this movie, but he had some connection to the CIA or something crazy. He had a whole nother life. Huh. And there's a there's a movie, yeah. And again, I may be going full ChatGPT at this moment because I <laughs> I readily make up facts faster than ChatGPT does. Um, Gabby is not here. Gabby is on assignment today, so there is some. Uh, uh, I don't want to say virology urgency because it's not that well it's i think it's a, a first person or a direct exposure virology experience oh that's right <laughs> it was not feeling well well we hope yeah well we hope gabby is uh doing better than next week you know working in virology it's a it's a rough field um but i, I was gonna say in general like when when matt when you're when you're on assignment we say there's a um, emergency in the timeline of the history of science so with Gabby, you might say just something in the history of biology or there's some sort of biology. Even that, that still sounds alarming, no matter what happens. A little bit, yeah. yeah there's no way around that. There's yeah. no way around it. Gabby can handle it. And she will be back. Um, and so this week, uh, we have, as I mentioned, uh, fantastic if, and we encourage all of you to submit your ifs, if you want to be like Dan, uh, if you have an if, and I, no if is too crazy. I don't. I don't think we've ever rejected an if for being too crazy. We've if definitely possible. never rejected it for being too crazy. Yeah, sometimes right. we just don't know what to do with it, but that's different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're not crazy enough to deal with it. Yeah. Um, but Dan writes in, um, topic suggestion. What? If, oh, by the way, and Dan uses our, uh, he, he reaches us through our website, which is, seems to be by far the most popular way. Just go to whattheif.com and type in the little... Uh, contact box there and send us a message. So Dan did that, and he says, uh, the subject here is topic suggestion. What if all of our satellites shattered? Mm. Uh, hi, Dan then uh, continues. Hi, everyone. It's me again. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Philip mentioned satellites recently, and it started me thinking about Kessler syndrome. The name given to a situation where there are so many satellites in orbit that uh, it is increasingly likely that a disaster will occur, wherein one satellite breaking up turns into a cascading problem where each satellite destroyed increases the likelihood that even more satellites will be destroyed. It's kind of run amok. Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to take this to the extreme. Yes. Thank you, That's Dan. That's what we do. Yeah. That's what we do here. And ask, what if, what the if such a disaster were to happen today? Today. That's in the next 24 hours. What if all our satellites were suddenly shattered into thousands or millions of pieces, whizzing? I love the word whizzing, by the way. It's a good word. Yeah. <laughs> I think in Philadelphia it's a cheese. Uh, whizzing. <laughs> Isn't that right? Put some whiz on it. Yeah, probably. Uh, whizzing around at 15,000 miles per hour. Is there anything we could do about the problem without being prepared for it? Obviously, we survived as a species for a very long time without the use of artificial satellites. But what would 
what would the sudden, sudden loss of all of our satellites look like? How would space travel be affected? Would there still be safe places to launch a spacecraft from the surface of the Earth? This is great. Thank, and Dan says, thank you, as always, for your insightful weekly musings. Well, thank you, Dan, and thank you for all your support. Uh, so Dan asks, uh, what if there were a whizzing problem around the Earth? It would be called the Great Whiz. Yeah, that's with an with an H. Yeah, yeah. Right. <clears throat> his not as, not to be confused with the uh, wonderful um, movie. Musical. Oh, the Whiz, no. the Whiz, <laughs> which I loved. Um, so uh, the first thing D- Dan mentioned there before we before we announce the if, I just want to understand one term: Kessler syndrome. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, who, do we know who Kessler is? Uh, yeah, that was Donald Kessler, a uh, longtime NASA employee. I, sh- I shouldn't say was actually he's still alive, um, right. but but retired now. Um, and back in the seventies, um, post Apollo program, NASA folks finally got some time to sit down and think about stuff. And um, he wondered uh, about the problem of space junk. Um, I don't know the, uh, the details of how he got to uh, his particular concern, um, but uh, many of the rockets we use for things like, say, Apollo are multi-stage rockets, mm-hmm. which means that um, uh, part of the rocket burns and then uh, that part is detached and dropped away and then the next part burns and, and so on. And this is a way of saving mass over time. Um, a side effect of this, though, is that those chunks, uh, those early stages of the rocket that gets um, discarded, uh, are sometimes they fall back to Earth, sometimes they just float around in space. Um, so I could, I could well imagine that by the late 70s, um, people are starting to wonder about these objects. Um, and we, you know, we, uh, I don't know, there's no other way to say it. Sometimes we lose track of stuff, um, yeah. <laughs> right? There's, there's more important things to be looking at at a given moment in a mission um, yeah. than tracking where the empty part uh, of a rocket stage is going. Uh, so, like, for instance, today, we regularly will rediscover, like, Apollo-era rocket right. stages. That's, right. um, that's just been circling the Earth for a while, and somebody yeah. spots it, and they're like, oh, it's a new asteroid, and then they're like, nope, it's got a Made in America stamp on it or something. Right. So, um, is, is it not that mm-hmm. the thing, I always wondered about that, is, is it, it's not that the this lost stage of a rocket has come mm-hmm. back from some incredibly long orbit. It's that it was, all, it was there all the time. We just hadn't seen Well, it. that's right. So there's a lot of possibilities um, mm. because people don't pay much attention to it and what's going on. Yeah. So as you say, sometimes you get a really long orbit, um, uh, a highly eccentric orbit, for instance. So it might go all the way out to the distance of the moon and then circle back to low earth orbit again. Um, so if you haven't been tracking it that whole time, from your point of view here on earth, all you see is an object suddenly hurtling back towards us. Um, right. and, and until you see it do the, the loop, then you don't know actually what's going on. Right. And is that the origin of the word eccentric? <laughs> you're, you're, you're loopy. <laughs> um, the term eccentric goes all the way back to the the Greeks. It, um, oh, okay, because you know they're obsessed with geometry and such, uh-huh. um, and then it gets applied to orbits by by Kepler. Um, uh-huh. 
Uh, oh, so let's hear. Yeah, so so Kessler. So I'm I'm just kind of speculating that yeah. is this kind of thing. Um, but nowadays, uh, now that there's enough stuff, well, once there's enough stuff up there, um, then Kessler syndrome is is the suggestion of a a particular phenomena um, that that could happen hasn't happened yet, um, in which what the, um, something goes wrong, the satellite explodes. Um, or uh, one satellite hits another satellite, and then a whole the one big object, the one satellite, breaks into many small objects, and those small objects are still in orbit um, and still traveling at orbital speeds, but now they're spread out and going in kind of random directions. And then if one of those uh, bits of debris hits another satellite, then that satellite will be broken into small bits as well. So this is the, sometimes people call it a, the Kessler cascade, which I, 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 I find sort of evokes what's happening a little bit better than syndrome. Yeah. Um, uh, because once you get one thing going wrong, then that starts lots of other problems and that starts lots of other problems as well. So the fear is that very quickly, um, a low Earth orbit would get full of debris that would make it impossible for any satellite to to hang out and do its work um, and be quite dangerous for um, uh, for manned spacecraft to go through as well. Right, it's a chain reaction, basically. Right, it's kind of that's like exactly a nu it. nuclear uh, nuclear explosion. Yeah, like nuclear fission. That's right. Fission. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, now we will announce Dan's if to the world, to the universe, because we want other galaxies to just be alert. As well, they could very well have Kessler syndrome in their neck of the woods. Um, so, why do we? Uh, what's the big deal? Why don't we just say, "Ah, let's just go for it"? You know, why, what's the, what? What happened that caused us to create these safety protocols? What meltdown did we? <laughs> oh um, well, I should say a uh, a likely outcome, or a likely trigger for this, um, is actually space war. <laughs> now that we have a, a space force, um, <laughs> because militaries are highly reliant on satellites these days for things like GPS and targeting and imaging. So one of the first things you would likely do um, in a high tech war is to blast the other guy's satellites um, out of the sky. So they oh, oh sorry, those things, right? just to be clear, what I meant was we're about to we're about to announce the if. Oh, okay, they, yeah, gotcha. Right. And so, and we have to get before space war begins. We do. Mm -hmm. This is a good, there's a good reason. There's a, I, I was I was saying why do we have these safety protocols? What incident? Oh, oh the safety in protocols past? for the podcast. Yeah, that's for, right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so. uh, because when you change reality, um, unsettling things can happen sometimes. I mean, it's unsettling enough when you like, you know, change the brand of cereal that you're buying. Um, <laughs> yeah. But we're going way beyond that, right? We're actually changing something about the uh, the world, and in this case, we're we're we're, um, uh, we're changing uh, space. We're changing space into something else. Um, so it's good to be ready for that, um, so you don't get uh, injured. Yes. So get ready. Put on your safety goggles. Uh, prepare for cascade, mm -hmm. and uh, always remember your papper, as we say, <laughs> as we ask. What the if? All the satellites in orbit blew up one by one. Bumper cars in space. From Dan's eccentric mind comes a new picture, a new motion picture, or a new audio picture called 
the Kessler run. Aha. Yeah, we got kessler Mm-hmm. <laughs> you've you've been Kesslered. So uh, uh, we now we have had um, uh, satellites have uh, I don't know if satellites have blown up in the sense of blown up to smithereens. Although there there have been um, accidents and nuts and bolts fall off of them, and but mm-hmm. there have been some military satellites that have, like a Chinese have intentionally I think it was a Chinese intentionally fired projectiles at other satellites. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, um, like I said, all spacefaring nations have, um, well, maybe that's an exaggeration, many spacefaring nations have developed technology for shooting down satellites. Mm. Um, And um, because there's an obvious military advantage to that. The problem with a a piece of technology like that is you, you want to test it to see if it actually works. Um, and it's frowned upon to shoot down other people's satellites. So generally you shoot down your own satellite as a test. Um, so China did this a little while ago. Uh, Um, and of course it's like nuclear testing back in the day, right? It's a way of kind of flexing your muscles and showing how tough you are. Um, but when you do that, that creates lots of debris that then sprays through, uh, orbit. Um, and many of these pieces of debris are too small to easily track, uh, So for a a daily part of um, routine on the International Space Station is actually warnings um, of incoming debris. Uh, And then I think they've got a little shelter that they all go Mm -hmm. behind that hideout. And and the main problem is simply that orbital velocities are really, really fast, right? As as Dan said, thousands of miles an hour. So a loose bolt um, uh, is like a bullet uh, zooming Mm -hmm. through space. And generally, you can't maneuver or escape it. Um, so if you happen to be in the path of it, you're going to get struck. Um, and then we get this uh, chain reaction in which more debris creates more debris. Um, and the fear is that eventually uh, there's so much junk in orbit that there are no longer any safe spots to put your satellite. So as soon as you try to put a satellite up, it gets whacked. Okay. Uh, and that would be disappointing, I should say. Now, I, I, as I try to imagine this, I, I feel like um, uh, you, you could help people. Actually, one thing we do like to say is that uh, science falls out. We have these science fiction uh, scenarios that we play with. And, uh, but the science, actual science falls out sometimes, like golden nuggets. Uh, <laughs> and and you, you can pick this up. So we, we learn science by exploring these thought experiments. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. so... For those who may not know, uh, they may say, oh, yeah, I know things are going fast in space because they went up there by rocket, let's say. Mm-hmm. So, but but I, don't, I don't know that everyone understands why, when you say things are going fast in space, what does that mean, actually? Well, so that's, um, that's actually a pretty profound uh, question. Um, and what it comes down to is that for things to be in orbit, they actually have to be going fast. That is, there there is no rest for satellites. Um, and one way to think about this, so this is going to be a challenge to do in an audio-only format, because usually mm-hmm. I, I have to draw a picture. Um, if you take, so actually I'll use the thought experiment that, that Newton um, gave us uh, a few hundred years ago um, for describing this. So if you imagine a cannon, um, uh, you fire the cannon and the cannonball comes out 
um, you know, horizontal to the ground, and gravity pulls the cannonball down at the same time that the propulsion from the explosion pushes it forward. So it goes some distance. I got to challenge myself not to use my hands here. Um, <laughs> it goes some distance forward before gravity pulls it to the ground, right? That's right. intuitive and what you would expect. Um, but if we put, let's say, twice as much gunpowder in, now it's going to go further before it hits the ground, right? Again, very yeah. intuitive. Um, but here's where it gets weird. Um, at some point, the curvature of the Earth becomes important. So if you put a lot of gunpowder in, then the cannonball goes so far that when it starts falling down towards the ground, it actually kind of misses the edge of the Earth because yeah. the Earth is a little bit curved. So it goes further than you might expect. And then if you put in even more, now it's going to like miss the edge of the Earth completely because it's, it's, remember, gravity doesn't pull down in an absolute sense. It pulls it towards the center of the Earth. Mm. So the, the cannonball both wants to go forward, as in away from the cannon, but is also pulled towards the center of the Earth. Um, so at some point, uh, the cannonball will be going exactly the right speed that it keeps missing the earth as is so the earth keeps pulling it down towards the center um, but it has this initial velocity which is just enough that it is constantly missing the earth yeah. as it tries to fall um, and newton points out that if you if you aim this just right the cannonball will come around and hit you in the back of the head because <laughs> it has successfully right. missed the earth completely right um, and we call that an orbit Right? There's, there's a correct speed um, at which an object will continually be falling and never actually hit the ground. Right. Um, and that depends on, the, that correct speed depends on how far away from uh, the center of the Earth that is. So orbital speed uh, at the surface of the Earth is extremely high. Something has to be going very fast. But as you go further away, it can be a little bit slower. Um, so the moon stays in orbit because it is constantly falling towards the earth and then also moving to the side. Um, and it moves, if I remember this, about an, an inch a minute, I think. So huh. it's quite slow, but huh. it's so far away that that's enough to keep it from, from hitting the earth. Um, so the trick of putting a satellite up is figuring out how high up you want it to be and then getting it going exactly that speed, and it sets up there. Um, so there's definitely, there's place, there's orbits that are good, that are especially good, like geosynchronous orbit is, um, is a peculiar place where uh, the satellite sits above the same spot on the Earth as it rotates. Um, so right above New York or whatever. And that's handy for communication satellites um, because then you know where the satellite is going to be and you can broadcast and it can broadcast stuff back to, to where you want it to be. Um, so that particular height of orbit is full of lots of satellites because that's a good thing to be. That's a good place to be. Um, so if we get a Kessler syndrome, then suddenly that useful place means we can't have geosynchronous satellites anymore. Um, so that doesn't make communications impossible, um, but it's certainly a lot more complicated um, because you might have to, for instance, you might have to wait until your communication satellite is above you. It might only be above you for an hour a day. Um, and that's when you can send your texts and then you have to, to wait right, for the next right. day, right? And I would just say that, that uh, you were talking about the um, 
that experience of, of orbiting being like perpetually falling mm-hmm. is another reason why another term they may, you may hear astronauts sometimes use or whatever is that we're in free fall. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It's also why astronauts appear to be floating. They're not actually floating in a sense inside the space station. It's just that they and the space station are falling at the same speed together. Yeah, so uh, this has given rise to all sorts of strange misnomers. As you say, like people huh. talk about zero G, right? Like astronauts right, being in right. zero G. And they right. are not. Um, they are subject to the full force of gravity. They yeah. are just falling in such a way that they don't notice the, yeah. the influence of gravity. Yeah. Um, and that's a weird thing to kind of wrap your, your head around. Yeah, there's so many weird things about orbital orbital dynamics. Um, so one thing you mentioned already is is interesting. So you said, for instance, imagine there was a runaway Kessler syndrome at uh, the orbit, uh, the altitude we could say of uh, geosynchronous satellites. So there'd mm-hmm. be a whole; those would all be wiped out. But there's all these different altitudes you could be at, all these different orbits. So if there was a Kessler, so the idea of a Kessler syndrome that destroyed all the satellites would be truly spectacular. That's right. right, because it's it's a three-dimensional space, right? Space right. has depth, as it were. So a Kessler cascade will happen at one particular orbit, at one particular right. height above the surface of the Earth. Um, so it, even if that gets filled with space junk, you can go up another quarter mile, and that space might be clear. Um, right. And your orbit will be a little bit different there, so you may not get exactly what you want, um, but it could still be there. Right. Um, but then if we screw up that one too, then that gets full of space junk. Um, and we have to keep going further and further out. Um, and then our satellite orbits, um, you know, so, so geosynchronous, for instance, is once every 24 hours. Um, the moon is once every 28 days. Um, so as our orbits get further and further out, um, the amount of time it takes the satellite to go around, will get closer to 28 days, right? As we get further and further out. Yeah. Um, so that could be inconvenient, right? Like if you could only send texts when the moon was full, um, (laughs) that would kind of suck, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm only texting you because I'm currently a werewolf. (laughs) <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have to use the werewolf emoji. <laughs> Hello again. <laughs> um, so it means that, as well, by the way, I have to say that um, um, the best visualization of this ever is the movie uh, Gravity mm-hmm. by, uh, I believe, Guillermo del Toro. And um, it's funny because you and I were saying, we feel like we've, we may have uh, done an if related to this. I feel like we might have done it, done one re- around the time that that movie came out. Oh, that's but, quite possible. Uh, yeah. But couldn't, mm-hmm. couldn't find it in our catalog, so it may just be a false memory. Um, but uh, it strikes me that if something were to hit, so, so, say you're going to hit a satellite, you're not likely to be hit. That, this is where I feel like the movie may have been inaccurate, I think. Things seem to come at them from the same altitude that they're at. It, you know, it's, whereas... It's, it would have to be something that would come at you from a different altitude because your speed determines your orbit, right? So if you mm-hmm. go faster, you will then go up. I suppose in between you, if you've been accelerating, you're flying around at some, uh, you're flying around in front of the space station and you and the space station are in the same orbit. So you're at the same height, let's say above the earth mm-hmm. and you're going around. That means you have the same speed. If you speed up, you're actually going to go up higher. Oh yeah. And you mean like speed up from the explosion here? 
Well, yeah, or just speed up for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're not. In other words, you for you to speed up and stay at the same altitude you would, would you be would hard. Not. That's right. Um, right. Uh, that's right. You would actually change orbits, and there's all sorts of strange things that. Um, that come along with this that are that are counterintuitive. So, for instance, if you want to go up, you actually point your spacecraft towards the Earth and get some strange things. And um, <laughs> yeah. so, like the the initial um, uh, the early um, let's see, it must have been the Mercury pilots back in the '60s yeah. um, talked about how the um, the intuitions from flying a spacecraft or from flying an aircraft here on earth um, are exactly opposite what you need when Uh, you're flying a spacecraft and it takes a minute to figure out how it should actually go right right. um yeah that's right so uh one of your options for escaping a kessler cascade is as you say you you just speed up a little bit or slow down a little bit and then you'll shift into another orbit um And then you're good to go for a minute. Uh, but the problem with explosions is that they do go out in all directions. Right, so you're likely right, going right. to be contaminating lots of different orbital levels at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in fact, to be hit by something, you're more you're more likely to be hit by something that's going up or down. <laughs> that's, you know. Yeah, that's right. And it can go. Um, let's see here. Crosswise, I guess, too. <laughs> so, like, mm, if you imagine. Mm. Oh, wow. um, so, what I'm about to say is not strictly right. So, we're, we may get some nasty emails from this. Um, <laughs> if you imagine an east-west orbit uh, of a satellite at a particular height, it's going a particular uh-huh. speed, um, and then a north-south orbit at a mm-hmm. particular uh, at, at the same height will be going the same speed, but at 90 degrees. Right. right. So if you so if you get hit by something going 90 degrees to you at the same orbital level, it's going at orbital speeds relative to right, you. So right. you're in big trouble there. Right. So you've been T-boned by another satellite. Yeah, that's right. Um, now, mm-hmm. go ahead. No, I was going to say. So gravity is a, a fantastic film. I enjoy it thoroughly. Um, unfortunately, it's um, it's good. Uh, it's good meat for certain killjoys um, of, of the initials NDT in particular, who, <laughs> who pointed out that um, Neil deGrasse Tyson. That's right. Yeah. The, the the action begins around the uh, Hubble Space Telescope, um, but then goes to. I can't actually can't remember if it's the ISS or Mir, the one of the the space stations up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sandra Bullock just goes from one to the next, and he points out that well, they're actually at different orbital levels. Um, so you would need an enormous amount of energy to transfer from one to the next. So I don't know if he like stomps out in the middle of movies or if he texts <laughs> during them or whatnot, but. He, he gave um, he gave uh, Oppenheimer a pass mm-hmm. because it was, it did have so much good science and history in it. Uh, mm-hmm. But he pointed out that um, the, the at the time the nuclear bomb went off. Spoiler alert about Oppenheimer: there is a nuclear bomb <laughs> and it does go off. Um, that at the time it went off, the sky would have mm-hmm. been blue because it, it was actually later in the day than the, they made it appear to be sort of still dark out. Because dark shows the flames of the bomb better, um, but my retort to that is be- the way cameras work. You know, you got to stop down. <laughs> you know, you got to put a filter on the camera mm-hmm. so that it, it that the, when the bomb blows up, it doesn't blow out doesn't uh, blow out your exposure on the camera, and that would in fact it's like you wear sunglasses when you watch nuclear bombs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and the dynamic range is was a yeah. huge problem for taking pictures of of nuclear bombs. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> 
All right. So we've contaminated um, low Earth orbit and yeah. geosynchronous orbit. Um, Starlink. So, I imagine Starlink being the uh, thing oh, to start yeah, off that's all right. this. So Starlink, I should say, is a likely um, initiator of a Kessler cascade. So yeah. for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's a network of, I don't know, it must be thousands of mm -hmm. mini satellites at this point, right? Yeah. Um, so the problem I was talking about a minute ago, where you have to wait for your communication satellite to be above before you send a signal, um, Starlink's solution to that is we'll just put so many satellites up that there's always one above you. Yeah. Um, and uh, the problem with that is you have now contaminated um, space. <laughs> that yeah. is, you've got so much stuff up there uh, that it's fine. It's hard to find a spot um, to put a new satellite. And yeah. you've increased the odds of collision dramatically. And then once you get one collision, your Starlink satellites are so close that you're probably going to hit another and go on from there. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll just read those so statistics. Yeah. Uh, um, currently, uh, Starlink, well, as of May, so there's more even now, Starlink consisted of over 4,000 satellites. Um, in total, 12,000 are planned with a possible later extension to 42,000 satellites. Um, so I should say, I, I want to stress how enormous <laughs> that number is. Um, so this is getting to be a problem for astronomers now. So you mm -hmm. essentially can't take a photograph of the night sky um, without a Starlink satellite. Um, zipping past, uh, and that's um, that's going to get. If if those numbers are correct, that's going to be ten times the problem that it is now within a couple yeah. of years. Yeah. Um, so it might be that ground based astronomy uh, will just end once we get a proper Kessler cascade too. You can't do long exposure. Oh, right, anymore, right, right, right. right, right. Um, so everything has to be. Um, space telescopes, which I guess wouldn't be so bad, but, right. um, but it means that, you know, Mount Palomar is not doing anything useful anymore. Mm. Uh, so that could be kind of a bummer. Um, yeah. I, and I could well imagine that, uh, given the way our modern civilization thinks our solution to the problem of, um, a Kessler cascade polluting a particular orbit is as we've been talking about well we'll just go to the next orbit and put more satellites up there yeah um and because it's further out we'll need even more so we're going to need a hundred thousand satellites yeah at yeah. the next orbital level that sounds like a human solution that sounds exactly, like an american right? that's, that's an totally american it. solution <laughs> yeah and then and then there's an accident there and then that gets polluted so right. we go out to the next one and now we need a million satellites right? yeah so i can i can totally imagine <laughs> this being the problem um and pretty soon um it's going to be hard to even send up rockets without them hitting something. Right. 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 Uh, and certainly no, you'd have to be crazy to be an astronaut and actually volunteer to go through this, this hail of metal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I don't know. Maybe we're all robotic exploration uh, after yeah. that. Um, you know, well, I can imagine, you know, again, sticking with the very American solution, mm -hmm. I can imagine a reality TV show, you know, <laughs> that is our space program because they're the only one, they've got like these daredevils, like evil Knievel types who dare to, um, uh, fly through the, uh, the, yeah, that sounds the, the totally Kessler plausible. cloud. I got to say the Kessler cloud. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, uh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry to say that that sounds totally, totally plausible. Right. Yeah, and that was um, that was something. By the way, something Dan had pointed out. He said, "Would we be able um, to take off?" Uh, 
I here's let's we jump way ahead. I can imagine mm-hmm. a very thick cloud. Uh, I, I, I have to shout out just uh, again to our favorite science fiction author, uh, Alistair Reynolds. In his books, um, there's a series of his books where there's a planet that has uh, what he calls the glitter band, um, oh, yeah. which mm-hmm. is this kind of more habit habitats in orbit. So it's not an accident kind of thing. Habitats in orbit. Although later, much further into the future of that civilization, it becomes the rust band because it's all been oh, abandoned. Nice. <laughs> um, but imagine imagine a cloud so thick that it's uh, at many, many, many altitudes. So it has a lot of depth, I guess you would call it, mm-hmm. a lot of thickness, as well as covering all the entire sky. So we're, we're almost like we're in a cocoon of uh, junk. Yeah. All right. What do we do now? Well, so people have been pondering this for a little bit, right? So Kessler mm-hmm. propo- or proposed this problem, pointed out this problem back in 19- 1978. So people have been thinking for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and there have been some efforts made to test possibilities. So the natural thing to uh, way to tackle the problem is, well, let's get the debris out of orbit. Um, so one of the ways to do this would be um, essentially send a giant paper towel up there to kind of collect it all. Um, Bounty. The the problem is that many of these bits of debris are very, very small, right? Individual nuts and bolts or even flecks of paint. Um, So you can't just send up like a net because that's got holes in it. So you need something that's going to actually be able to grab stuff and go down. Um, So, you know, you you start with the easier problem. So what about just a dead satellite that's not doing anything useful? Can we get it? Can we deorbit it is the technical Mm -hmm. term. Um, so I think the ESA sent up a, a test, um, satellite that has little arms, um, and can, and can kind of reach out and grab the dead satellite and huh. then intentionally pull it down into the atmosphere. So it burns up. Um, so that's good for individual big chunks. That's not going to help with the small bits that, of debris. That's like a space bouncer. It is exactly like a space bouncer. <laughs> you're right? out of here. It, it checks to see if you're on the list, and if That's not, right. <laughs> and just like a real life bouncer, it condemns you to a fiery doom. Um, uh, so another possibility that's been suggested, and I think the the Chinese are working on this, if I remember right, is you um, point a high powered satellite um, uh, out into orbital space, um, because that you can focus on a small bit of something. And when light, so light actually pushes a little bit, um, it's a tiny, tiny amount. So you never experience it in your daily life. But if you're a one gram chunk of paint, um, then the amount of pressure that a laser from the earth's surface pushes on you is actually enough to change your orbit very slightly. Hmm. Um, and, uh, if so, if the idea being, if we target this, right, maybe that will, you know, 30 seconds of blasting with a laser doesn't disintegrate it, but it changes its orbital speed just enough that again, it deorbits, right? It either zips off into deep space, um, or it flies down, uh, into the atmosphere and burns up from there. So if that works, that's a good way to clear out large areas cheaply and fast as well. Um, but it's sort of the equivalent, you know, if you think of the, the great garbage patch in the Pacific ocean, 
Yeah. Right. People say, well, why don't you just go pull all the pieces of plastic out? And the answer is, well, you can, but the scale of the problem is so gigantic that you will, you and all of your friends will spend thousands of years pulling Big Mac wrappers uh, out of the ocean and not even make a difference. Um, It's the same kind of problem um, with the Kessler. cascade uh except in orbit um because it's a chain reaction it multiplies so every time you get a new explosion or a new disaster that creates the potential for even more and even more and even right more. right and when when one of these uh, all it takes is one of these paper towels to go uh, awry mm-hmm. and now you've got a massive thing <laughs> just yeah. creating more more of a mess um yeah and i should say so the best solution to this is to prevent it in the first place that mm-hmm. is let's get some rules in place for where people can put their satellites and track them really closely and spread that information out there so nobody accidentally runs into something else. Um, But the problem is that space is the Wild West. There is no authority. Um, If the Chinese space program is feeling generous, they might call up NASA and say, hey, we're checking, we're we're putting something up there. Watch it. Um, But they don't have to. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. if they decide not to, nobody can stop them. Um, and this is one of the, the problems with that anti-satellite test they did a little while back, because they didn't tell anybody about it. So just some poor radar operator in oh. Houston is just having a fine day. And then all of a sudden, their radar map gets all cloudy because it's full of debris. And they're like, ah, what do we do now? Um, And then panicked phone calls are made to, where's the Chinese space program? Shenzhen? I can't remember. Mm. Um, So they call them up and say, what's going on? And they're like, you know, something might have happened, maybe. And NASA says, well, can you tell us, you know, where the satellite was that you detonated so we can, you know, plot out where the debris might be? And they might say, no, we will not. Um, and then, and you know, North Korea, for instance, totally has the capability of sending up a satellite if it felt like, um, and they, I think would not feel the need to tell anybody ahead of time, um, and could easily smash into something else. So this seems all but inevitable to me that, um, something's going to go wrong along these lines. It's interesting. I wonder if, uh, I'm, I'm going to guess that there were scientists on the Chinese team, uh, and first of all, I'm guessing it was a military thing, but uh, that they had looked into the notion of whether they were going to create a Kessler effect mm-hmm. <laughs> or not, you know. Um, I don't know. That would be a really interesting yeah, yeah, yeah. question. Um, certainly, they would know about the possibility, whether the institutional culture allows for that to be a problem that can be discussed is something else entirely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and not not that that prevents these. Things. I mean, look, NASA looks. In, I was going to say, if it was NASA, they would have had a whole thing on it, a committee, and uh, it would have made the program run three years longer than it was originally planned to, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, that being said, there's still safety protocols that are investigated that then don't get followed, and that could <laughs> happen. So, um, uh, uh, we didn't. We I just point out one thing we did leave out is the fact that yes, if all satellite communication went down, there's a whole set of problems going on on the Earth that we didn't even address. We we're just we've just been concerned oh, yeah, with right. the cloud itself. But I I love this idea of this thick cloud. I mean, um, it really would block out. We, there would be things glittering all night 
right? If we, yeah, if this cloud right. so existed. it would, um, yeah, orbitally, it would eventually turn into a thick ring. Um, uh-huh, so uh-huh, we'd, uh-huh. we'd get an artificial ring system like Saturn or Jupiter. Right. Um, so that, uh, I don't know, it would look kind of cool, right? Yeah. You have a big, yeah. thick, glittery <laughs> band yeah. across the sky. Yeah. Um, it would ruin um, calm star watching that night. Uh, but that would be pretty spectacular from down. Well, here. again, you, yeah. we get to the point where it would. This becomes a. This is where I love to. We could sort of leave it. That uh, at the end, we push things so far that uh, you don't. We don't even know what's going to happen. Um, this becomes a culture changing situation where now it becomes a story about a civilization that can't see the sky. You know, they see all these glittering yes, things, mm-hmm. but they don't. They may or may not. Who knows how far into. The future of civilization you go with do they remember what all those glittering things that's are? right they might it might just be that's the way the night sky is right because they when, can't go in space anymore because you know it, the space right. program then, stopped yeah the yeah. first time they try to send up a rocket um they discover that this is an artificial um uh band of of debris right. and not a natural one um that'd be oh a that would blow their mind actually right can you yeah. imagine you go up there and you <laughs> you find the made in america um metal and you're like what yes yes and then and then eventually in this ridley scott version um they would uh discover the uh, mountain inside uh, the uh hidden military facility inside cheyenne mountain the norad uh radar that mm-hmm. allegedly tracks every nut and bolt you know in space uh, and they would discover that and say oh that'd be, that'd be a good part of the movie it's all i'm saying <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Um, and another, uh, yeah, so some of this stuff will deorbit naturally too, if it's not in a very stable orbit. Uh-huh. Um, and if there's enough up there, that would mean we have constant meteor showers as this debris right, right. is is reentering, um, at least for some period of time until those unstable orbits clear themselves out. Um, so that would actually be a good. Um, Master's thesis is is how long would it take for those um, low orbits yeah. to to naturally uh, deorbit themselves? I yeah. would I would guess hundreds of years. Um, so probably hundreds of years of cool constant meteor showers. Yeah, uh, as Starlink satellites re-enter. Right, that'd be kind of <laughs> that, yeah. cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then eventually he, uh, Elon Musk's uh, sports car re-enters. Uh, the one uh, he yes, put in space. Right. That'll be. Uh, <laughs> The exciting great holiday, <laughs> exactly. That and he. By the way, he put on the dashboard, "Don't panic." So that'll be oh, a great day. <laughs> People can wonder about that. <laughs> uh, speaking of meteor showers, just want to give a, a heads up that I believe this weekend is the peak of the Perseid meteor shower, which mm-hmm. is the biggest um, and baddest meteor shower of the year. That is so, correct. Uh, always yeah. a wonderful thing, and it's nice in the northern hemisphere. It's nice and warm. Um, mm-hmm. so it's, it's also one, one of the easier ones to get out and see. So do that. Um, Dan, thank you for all the havoc you have wreaked and wrought, <laughs> uh, with your Kessler cloud. And, um, uh, I, I, I do have to ask, so our listeners here, I had asked before the show, but I don't think we were recording then Matt, the, uh, Kessler syndrome, any relation to the Kessel run? Oh, no, it is not. It is spelled differently, I'm afraid. Okay. Um, and we'd have to to peer into George Lucas's unconscious to figure out if there was some 
um, subconscious connection there. But that's right. Um, that's right. Although actually, I should say, um, it looks like Star Wars comes out in '77, and Kessler proposes his syndrome in '78. Oh. Um, so unless they were personal friends, um, there was probably no connection. There. Ah, I could see that art inspires science fiction inspires you know mm-hmm. sure science all the time. Um, and but I would say this that uh, flying through the Kessler cloud that we imagine today would be very much like uh, flying through the asteroid. Belts. Uh, that's right. Movies. Yeah, much like the Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, uh, with the exception of the giant worm. Um, <laughs> exactly. Probably not many giant worms in low Earth orbit. That's right. Also, you know, a bit like every great science fiction series has their fly through the asteroid belt uh, moments. Right. But Battlestar Galactica a, had a, had a bunch of them. So yeah, it's a standard thing now. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so again, thank you, Dan, and uh, uh, for all that, um, Matt. Uh, uh, how are you feeling at the end of this uh, episode? What has this thought experiment left you? Uh, any, any profound ideas come out of it? Um, I don't know. There's a sense of inevitability to it mm, that mm. I get. Is um, We are just, as a species and as a civil... Well, I shouldn't say that. As a civilization, um, we're really bad at the things that we need to do to prevent this kind of situation from happening. Um, so I think we actually need to be thinking about it in terms of how will we fix it once it does? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I hope there is some smart youth out there who is thinking about this kind of problem. Um, and it's one of these things that will happen quite suddenly, right? So all of a sudden, we will lose all of our communication satellites. Uh-huh. And that would re- that'll be a great shock. Um, so it would be nice if we could think about um, ways to fix it now before it actually gets to be a problem. Right on, right on. I'm left with an image of uh, imagining a uh, Mad Max in space type episode, episode, <laughs> type episode. movie, <laughs> one, at least one episode um, before the series is canceled of <laughs> Mad Max <laughs> in, in the Kessler cloud where they're building basically, you know, instead of slapping cars together out of junk parts, uh, like in Mad Max, they're slapping uh, spaceships together out of uh, well, parts. that'd be a good sequel to um, The Expanse. If, yeah, uh, that's right. That's if right. If anybody wants to do that, I would watch that. That'd be very cool. Very cool. It'd be called The Expensive. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Matt. Is there anything you would like to plug this week? Um, let's see. Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, my daughters are off to college, so if you uh, run into them, say hello for me. Wow. Um, but otherwise, uh, yeah, that's not technically me. So, <laughs> Are they pursuing science or history? Um, uh, Zoe is double majoring in um, molecular cell biology and Ooh. Spanish. Huh. Um, and Maya is studying film production, so they have both avoided ah. history <laughs> thoroughly. Right. Um, I'd say so Maya made the right choice. The other one... It. Yeah. The other one sounds really hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, she put together her first semester um, schedule yesterday, and she's like, "That? How am I going to take all of the classes I have to?" I'm like, "Well, that is an excellent question." Yeah. So. Plus, Spanish. I mean, molecular biology—you have to learn Latin basically anyway, right? So, uh, a little bit of that. And I should and say, she wants to be a doctor, so she's actually doing pre oh, classes along even the way. better, even better. Well, good luck to both of them. That's very exciting, and congratulations to you. And and mom and Freya. <laughs> yeah, Freya's contribution to academics has not been quite as much as you might hope. But. Right. <laughs> Although not unlike many freshmen, you know. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. 
Um, we can say uh, Gabby's uh, science fiction story is available for purchase. Go to our website um, or even right right there on your podcast app. You've got the link for it in the show notes. Oh, so I didn't realize that. That's cool. Do, yeah, do check that out. And uh, Gabby will be back next week and she can tell us all about it, how things are going in the publishing world. Um, very exciting. Do I have anything to plug? Um, I don't think so. I plug the Percy and Meteor Showers. I oh, that's so a good one. Yeah. Get out great. there and and see them. And uh, and no no safety, uh, well, the only safety equipment you might want is mosquito repellent. Uh, if, yeah, that sounds about right. If yeah. you're in that kind of area. Um, they are more visible. They tend to be more visible the closer you get to dawn, I believe. So uh, there's that. Um, but you can see a yeah, lot. Double check. Yeah, that's right. If night. you just hang out for, outside for a couple hours, um, you'll see some spectacular ones. It'll yeah. Be great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be at some outdoor concert in Prospect Park, Brooklyn tonight. It'll be interesting to see if you can see meteors. I bet you could. Um, I don't know. That'll be an interesting question. Light pollution is so bad around here that I genuinely don't know. Exactly. Exactly. Will it beat it? Um, Thank you, Matt. And uh, thank you, Dan. And thank you all our patrons uh, for all your support. Um, and if you, if you, again, if you've been listening and you're curious what Patreon is, what is all this Patreon they're always talking about? Patreon.com slash what the if. Check it out. Uh, Matt, would you, would you like to help us uh, understand what we need to do now to uh, get back to some semblance of normality? Um, well, what we need to do now is get together with our neighborhood cleanup crew and get into our neighborhood rocket with our plastic garbage bags and our long grabbers and put on (laughs) our helmets and fly into orbit and then individually pick out small pieces of metal and put them in our bag. And as we get to our 10,000th year of doing this, (laughs) we throw our hands up in frustration and say, What What the... Thank you all. Gabby, get well. We'll see you all next week.